When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. This is Soccer Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United. And as promised, coming up today, we're going to have a deep dive into one of the most significant characters now at Manchester United and, of course, at Ineos, Sir Dave Brailsford. We'll also be looking ahead to the Premier League match at home to Tottenham this weekend, where we expect Sir Jim Ratcliffe to be in attendance for the very first time too. There's a couple other bits of transfer business and a very intriguing update that we can bring you towards the end of this pod as well. So stay tuned for that. With me today, two men who are all about knights. Maybe not Knights of the Realm necessarily, but Laurie Whitwell loves a good night out and Andy Mitten loves a good night reading maps. All right, gents. Just reminded me of the time I tried to get Andy out for a night out in Melbourne and it, I think it finished before midnight, didn't it, Andy? Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. What, midnight 24 hours later? <laughs> I wish. Just about, yeah. Before we go any further, we are up for the best team podcast again at the Sports Podcast Awards. So please, if you can... Give us a vote. Uh, all the details will be in the show notes about how to do that. It's been on our social media as well, which I'm sure we'll share in the coming weeks. But we'd love your support. But we've got a, a pretty intriguing person to look into today on the podcast. This is maybe a flavour of what you can expect from Talk of the Devils moving forward as well, because the second half of this season will not just be about match previews and reviews with United being out of Europe and the Carabao Cup as well. But since the new investment was announced on Christmas Eve, there's been a new face around regularly. We've seen him at Old Trafford. We've heard about him attending Carrington as well. And it is Sir Dave Brailsford, who is the director of sport for Ineos and seems to be performing some sort of audit of Manchester United at the moment. Um, Laurie, you've written a piece about him this week, which is on The Athletic. We can recommend that, of course, if people want to know more. But he's not really a football expert as such, is he? No, and he says this publicly. You know, um, I listened to a couple of podcasts where he um, openly says this. He doesn't shy away from that fact, which I think is probably one of the crucial questions that fans will have. Dave Brailsford was hugely successful with British cycling, um, 2008, 2012 Olympics, and then onto Team Sky as well. Obviously not without some controversy, but the overall impression of him is a guy that is absolutely expert at cycling. Now, how does that transfer over to football? Well, he says, you know, I'll never... One of the interesting quotes I found was that he said, I watch a cycling race and it's in colour you know television for me whereas football it's kind of black and white and there's lots of people that do see it in colour and I'll, I'll never get there but I can be better uh, at the sport uh, sort of myself but also more his expertise is in putting people in positions that have got the skills to do those jobs um, and again I suppose you have to sort of scrutinise has he got the capabilities in the background to find out which people are going to be really good at these kind of jobs that United need or is it going to be a difficult challenge for him now the point of my piece was actually to say he's had links 
to football going back more than a decade you know one of the key aspects was his relationship with Steve McLaren when McLaren was Derby County manager and he'd go in and give a presentation and then he lived quite close by so he'd pop in for coffees every now and again and speak just casually to staff Uh, Paul Simpson his assistant spoke to me about the kind of talks that he would have and kind of the questions that he would ask and sort of just drilling down into why he was doing certain things as a coach Um, and he found them really useful really to kind of psychology as much as anything I suppose so and then it's gone on from there in terms of Brailsford's link to the football world um, Arsene Wenger was somebody that he had a, a good relationship with early on so Alex Ferguson he's spoken a lot about and obviously he was sat next to him um, at the city ground uh, and I've been told that he will tap into him as he, as he comes into this role as well sort of asking what he thinks about United Cause he, I think he sees Ferguson as somebody that you know obviously stopped being a manager 10 years ago and we get this question all the time don't we how much input should Ferguson have in the current running of Manchester United because it's you know you need a break at, at some point but I think Brailsford's point of view is that Ferguson was always actually ahead of the curve in, in terms of his football uh, sort of tactics I suppose and the, and the psychology around it and also some of the things that he was trying to do around the, the game so he feels that okay you're not going to apply the same principles it's not a copy and paste job but that kind of uh, thinking um, and then attaching it to the current landscape is going to be really valuable. Um, yeah, he's got a strong relationship with Roy Hodgson, which I didn't know about. That was interesting. Um, you know, he's, he's tapped into him for some scouting advice at Nice. Um, Gareth Southgate as well. Dan Ashworth, you know, he was on the FA panel in 2016 uh, that was then working with um, the three-person panel to select the next England manager. So there's, there's been lots that of these... That him with David Gill as well, David didn't it? Gill. Which was an intriguing part. Yeah, yeah, who was then obviously sat next to him at at the DW so there's just lots of different ways in which Brailsford has had links to football previously and yeah we'll we'll see how much they become relevant now in in his new job and also just in in the piece the Nice aspect as well I thought was was interesting we can get into that a little bit more but he has been you know working you know kind of as a director of sport almost at Nice for sort of a year or so um, given Ineos's role um, owning that club so that's another aspect to explore. Andy? It's a top piece by Laurie and I would recommend it and he mentioned speaking to Paul Simpson there and there's good quotes there. Paul was assistant under Dean Holden at Bristol City up until 2021 and I spoke to Dean an hour ago um, and, and he's, he's come across Dave Brailsford several times and Dean told me, it drives me mad when people say what does he know about football? He doesn't get involved in the technical aspect. He's the boss of the coaches. He demands elite people in each department and he demands the top standards from them. He knows that football is a, a different beast. And and I'm not too concerned that he's not a football person as long as he puts the right football people in place to make Manchester United better. And that's happened at Nice, and it took time. And there were some wrong appointments and some lovely bits in your piece, Laurie, where he talks about bringing the French manager in to make a connection with the local fan base. When I went to Nice, I was really struck by their blueprint because it talked about pride in their working class fans. And I'm like, Nice, it's the richest city in France. You do not associate Nice with working class football fans. And I think they're now getting it right there. So I'm speaking to a lot of people like you are about him. And I'm getting broadly very positive uh, feedback and I'm all for it. Okay, that's a little bit of background then on Sir Dave Brailsford's history or recent history in football and some of the relationships that he's developed so far. But of course, Ineos have a huge involvement in lots of different sports, not just football and cycling, but sailing, rugby, running as well, uh, other sports too. And Matt Slater has joined us now, who is the athletic correspondent on business of football. But of course, Matt, you have a history of covering 
closely to Dave Brailsford's career in cycling, other sports as well. So thank you for coming on. We're hoping to get a bit more of a background about the man who is auditing Manchester United at the moment. Um, What can you tell us? He always wanted to be a cyclist. Took himself off to France. This is back in the sort of 80s. Uh, He did it for four years. He wasn't going to make it as a pro cyclist. He wasn't quite good enough. But he learned French and he learned, I think, a lot about self-sufficiency. And I think he really kind of started to lean into learning. But he's one of those sort of voracious readers, mind like a sponge, fascinated by new ideas. Came back, did like a sports sports uh, degree of sorts. Then did like a sort of sports business thing. I think it was in Sheffield. I can't remember anywhere. But anyway, did like a sort of second degree. Got into marketing. And that's really where he sort of started late 90s just as the money the lottery money was really starting to flow into olympic sport and british cycling were kind of like the poster boys of this new more professional approach to olympic sport he got a consultancy gig at british cycling and it was a really exciting time they were just starting to win medals a lot of ambition a lot of clever people there like i said a more professional approach with some money behind them and he just shone. You know, the marketing guy suddenly was in charge of logistics, suddenly in charge of, you know, who knows what, right? And by, oh, I can't remember if it was about 2003, the previous performance director, which was an entirely sort of new idea in British Olympic sport, we kind of pinched it from the Aussies, um, you know, sort of an overarching, almost like a director of football type role. He got that gig. And, you know, 2004 Olympics went well. 2008 Olympics in Beijing went unbelievably well. They smashed everyone's pieces, did it again in London. And then just suddenly it's all just mushrooming. He's, he's gone from track cycling to road cycling. Suddenly we're winning medals in mountain biking and all sorts. The Team Sky story kind of comes off the back of our track cycling success. They dominate road cycling for certainly from, let's say, 2000, probably 2012-ish to 2019, by which point Team Sky had become Ineos Grenadiers. We're talking about certainly a period around 2012 to 2014, 15, where Dave Brailsford was 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 sort of like this high-performance guru. He, he, he was everywhere, and everyone wanted to hear from him. I used to see him at sports conferences. I was constantly hearing about him giving speeches to football teams, rugby teams, cricket teams. Everyone used to sort of quote bits of his... He, he was incredibly accessible. He was a great talker. He was a great self-publicist. Uh, fascinating bloke. I'm, I'm glossing over why we haven't heard so much about him for the last four or five years, which I'm sure we'll get into. Can you just sort of describe that period maybe and, and how much do you think that has a bearing on what his role now is at Man United? You will be aware, even people that don't know much about cycling, that cycling has a slightly uh, troubled past with drugs. Um this goes back about 100 years, to be honest. People have been taking uh, drugs to ride further and faster for as long as there have been bikes, uh, certainly as long as there have been bike races. In the 70s and 80s, into the 90s and noughties, to be honest, the drugs got better. Cycling lost its moral compass, and it went from being a sport where, let's say, some people were cheating to uh, everyone was cheating, and it was really just a sort of a degree of how much you were cheating and how effectively you were cheating. That was where the sort of sport was. Things things were starting to turn. Browsford and British Cycling and, you know, some of us some of it might have been wishful thinking. You know, we wanted to believe this story. A page was turning, right? There were enough people that were fed up with the cheating, and British cycling was going to be sort of part of that movement. Brailsford was going to be part of that movement. And it all looks and sounded great. And 
Um, Team Sky, when they launched in, I think it was 2010 then, 2011, I think it was their first season, they weren't going to hire former dopers, which was quite a, a, quite a brave and tough call at the time because, you know, you, you know, in football, right, coaches, managers, they're, they're all former players. It's exactly the same as cycling. Um, and if, you're, if your entire sort of previous two generations of riders all pretty much doped, I mean, not all of them, but, but like 90%, it's quite hard to like not hire ex-dopers. So anyway, they 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 made this great big kind of pitch to the world, to Sky, the corporation as well, by the way, who lavishly backed them because they had a big budget right from the beginning. That's another sort of perhaps under-discussed part of the Team Sky success story, that they were going to do it different. Long story short, because there are honestly about 30, I was trying to think in my head the other day, Ferraris, you know, where they didn't quite live up to their... To their bold, brave, brave new world stuff. Mm, you said you weren't ever going to do that, and you kind of have done that a little bit. I know it's a grey area; it's not officially illegal, but you didn't sort of suggest you were going to do that sort of thing. And there was just loads and loads and loads of this, and very, very slowly, sort of negativity built up around them. There were always people lining up to knock them because, well, who, who on earth are these Brits suddenly uh, winning our bloody race, the Tour de France? So I was always kind of conscious when I was writing and reporting on it. Some of it was just jealousy, but these these doping and doping adjacent stories just grew. And anyway, we finally get to uh, the first big big one that I think everyone will vaguely be aware of is this is this Jiffy Bag issue. I don't want to get into the detail here. You can go find and read about it. It was about the delivery of a mysterious package at a race and what was really in it. And then did they keep proper medical records because they said they were really clever and transparent and it turns out they weren't. And they may have sort of fudged what was in it. But anyway, right, there was that. And then the other, I think for me, the big one where certainly my view of the whole project sort of started to change was... In the build-up to the Rio Olympics, I know I'm going off and it makes it makes it sound weird, but at the time Russia was very much in the doghouse. They'd been caught for colossal state-sponsored doping for years and Russia was fighting back and they basically hacked um, WADA, the World Anti-Doping Agency's um, sick list, or sick note database, where athletes can take performance-enhancing drugs for medical needs. And they, 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 they just dumped all this. They just leaked it. And loads of athletes were sort of, you know, in there. But probably the one that got damaged most was Sir Bradley Wiggins, who won the 2012 Tour de France, was the hero, the star of the uh, British Olympics, uh, London Olympics, and was very much sort of like Team Sky's first great big success story. That he had been given three very powerful uh, steroid injections, basically, for his allergies before the big races, including the 2012 Tour de France. And he had he talked in his, his biography about never doing anything like that, never doing needles. And we got into this colossal row over, yes, he had doctor's permission for this, but you said you would never do this kind of thing. And there are other therapies you could use. And this drug has been used by dopers in the past. And it just, it just was, a, it just boom. And then we get into Chris Froome and his asthma. And oh my God, it just, it, well, there's so much. And if you really care about this stuff, go read it. But the short version is the story around this whole team's success changed and how we viewed Brailsford changed and his relationship with the press and his relationship with fans changed and he just disappeared he disappeared until 
now we can start talking about football and Man United. Well, one of the great lines that I felt from the um, podcast that I've listened to, and obviously you know him vastly um, more than I have managed to do in, in kind of watching a couple of his stuff that he's done publicly, but he, he addresses the doping allegations head on. And you know, he says, I, you know, I never doped, you know, denies it, denies any wrongdoing. Um, but he said one point at which um, the at the height of the media attention on it was 2016, I think after the Jiffy Bag stuff had come out and they were camped outside his house and Roy Hodgson called him. So this is kind of why it's interesting in the football sense. So even at that point, he's having kind of, you know, England manager call him up um, and basically said to him, you know, don't ever let them win, don't ever resign. You know, you get pushed and then you make your money. So it's kind of quite funny that he was openly telling this story as well. But it's 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 kind of that kind of uh, I don't know colourful sort of anecdote that you want to hear as a, as a journalist, and you want to kind of it kind of gives you an impression of who this person is. I think. Well, I was just going to say the the, the connection with Roy Hodgson there is interesting because that goes to what I was saying before that when he was very famous and he's still famous, but like unbelievably famous, he'd be everywhere. So I remember seeing him at leaders in sport thing at Chelsea which is a big football conference he was involved in various kind of dinners and panels and any kind of like think tank around British sport but not just British sport he'd be in it and if he wasn't they'd be inviting him they'd want him to come he was he honestly he was British sports um, most in demand high performance export whatever that means right I know some people be going oh my god that's sort of David Brent type stuff and, and there is an element of it, of that to it. But, you know, it works sometimes. You know, honestly, athletes buy into it and people in organisations buy into it. They quite like the figurehead, the leader with the stretch target. He talks about things like compassionate ruthlessness and um, yeah, everyone talks about marginal gains. They're, they're not bad ideas, you know. They're easy to lampoon, but they're not bad ideas. Well, it's not like it's you know, minor figures that he is involved with either, is it like you say, you know, we've talked about the current England manager at the time, Roy Hodgson, Gareth Southgate now as well, the, the current England manager, but also Sir Alex Ferguson. And I think this is a good point actually to play in uh, Sir Dave Brailsford speaking about his relationship with Ferguson when he spoke uh, about that topic on the Diary of a CEO podcast. I thought what Alex Ferguson did ever so well was he, there's always a challenge with teams when you've got a generation who grow together and they come together and you'll have a two, three, four years of amazing success with a group who've bonded and they're on a journey together. And of course, then you start to get towards the end of that. And at what point do you bring young talent in and let some of the more established talent go, you know, and, and there's a, a transition. And he did that ever so well. He really did that ever so well. And we met and chatted a couple of times about that. Is when When I was younger, up in the velodrome in Manchester, he'd pop over to, to the velodrome and we'd sit there and chat. And, and that was always one of the big things I wanted to ask him, you know, it was like, okay, what, what are you watching? What are you seeing? Uh, why are you doing this? What, you know, what have you seen there that makes you think that's the right time to change and you're bringing this youngster in here, you know? And he'd say, you know, he, he'd, he'd quite often say that, um, you know, people get a bigger voice, they get a bigger standing in the dressing room. They might start to second, you know, oh, I'm not so sure about that gaffer, you know, they'd, and they'd have an influence and, you know, there'd be the celebrity and the media and other things going on, et cetera, et cetera. And, and definitely sooner rather than later, that would be right. Okay, off we go. We'd, and he'd change it. Listening to him talk about it, he, he knew exactly what he's doing, to be fair to him. And he was a master at it. 
couple of things from that lorry that I found interesting. First of all, it was Fergie going to the velodrome and not Sir Dave Brailsford going to Carrington, which I thought was quite revealing. And also it shows the mind that he has to try and, well, one, establish relationships with figures like that, but also to try and pick their brains and listen and learn, which are two of the buzzwords that you've been using with, with Ineos's start at Manchester United. I think at this point we need to bring a bit of the background of Nice, which obviously you've written about in the piece. I mean, the difference between Ineos buying Nice and obviously having the investment in Manchester United, Nice were performing pretty well, weren't they, at the point when Ineos came in? And it's only when things started to go wrong under their ownership that Dave Brailsford had to step in. If you'd have done this podcast maybe last year at this point and Brailsford's coming into United, you kind of go in, well, okay, this isn't growing great at Nice, is it? Um, because they'd... Their recruitment, you could question, you know, they kind of bought older players, you know, Aaron Ramsey, Kasper Schmeichel, Ross Barkley. I know Barkley's having a really good season at Luton, actually, but, you know, it felt like it was not the the best quality of players that you're trying to build a squad around, really, I suppose. Um, and, and they didn't have a great season. And, you know, there was turbulence amongst the fans in terms of how Ineos were, were governing the club. Brailsford, I think, you know, appreciated that and, you know, got to grips more with the club. He had to basically change the whole structure at it because you had no sporting director, no manager, head coach. Um, and apparently, you know, he, he went and... Sounds um, familiar, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, well, this is it. I mean, it's it, it, that's why it's really interesting to see what they have done with these because you can map, you know, some of the aspects onto it. He would live, apparently, in his uh, camper van at the car park whilst trying to sort of refurb the, the training ground at Nice. It was described as a motorhome in your piece, actually, rather than a camper van lorry, which is quite an important distinction for fans of uh, mobile travel. Yeah, I don't think it's a Max and Paddy's Road to Nowhere kind of vibe. I think it's, uh, I don't know, you'll know better than me, Matt. It's amazing. Right, yeah. yes. <laughs> so it's not a bad place to sleep, but nonetheless, I think it kind of perhaps shows a, a kind of commitment to putting in yeah. in the hours and, and you know, not having to you know go back to your home, I guess, even you know a short trip away in Monaco. Um, so what? But the, the things that he did there at, at Nice were basically go young. You know, he wanted to get, uh, you know, kind of 30 to, to 42 age bracket, I think, um, in terms of his appointments. So they've appointed, uh, Francesco Farioli, who's a 34-year-old uh, and they're you know, currently second in League 1. They've gone for a sort of lower age bracket of, of recruitment uh, and also they've appointed a 38-year-old in Florent Gazzofoli, uh, who is the sporting director that had success at Lons. So, and, and the way that they work it there is that you know, they appoint the sporting director first, then they appoint the head coach uh, and they, they kind of the idea is that they work in total unison. But interestingly, you know, the head coach manager doesn't have the final say on signings, you know, which uh, it's going to be an interesting aspect in terms of Eric Ten Hag. He, he's obviously had a quite a crucial voice on United's recruitment. So how they, you know, have those conversations with him and, and, and see out, you know, the way of working that they're going to have at United, it, it will be interesting to see. But, you know, so far, that it seems like they've actually turned things around at Nice. Yeah, it's interesting for Manchester United fans, Andy, isn't it? Listening to what's happened at Nice and also the depth of his background, Dave Brailsford, in sport that that Matt's been bringing us to uh, during the course of this podcast. But how do you think this actually applies to Manchester United now? We didn't make a good first impression when he came to visit Old Trafford, Dave Brailsford, uh, earlier on uh, last year. Was that professional jealousy? Was that people thinking, I'm going to lose my job? I don't want this guy to be in charge of me. Was he a bit too self-confident? But that that is how it was. Some of the people have already left the club, whose noses were slightly put out of joint by Dave Brailsford. But I welcome it. If it's going to mean best-in-class appointments, and this can help Manchester United not be seventh, but be first, then I'm all for it. One aspect of this as well, 
that I heard you talk about, Matt, is um, the link or the similarities with uh, Clive Woodward, another knight of the realm. So Clive Woodward, to give him his full title, coming into football at Southampton um, back in the early 2000s. Do you think football's more ready for this sort of influence now than it was then? And, and what can we learn from how that all went? Because it wasn't great, was it? Well, yeah, I think it's really... It's probably the best comparison we've got, right? There's this whole idea of are skills truly transferable and is football unique? I mean, all sports are kind of unique in their own sort of way, aren't they? And, you know, there isn't an amazing amount of evidence of, I don't know, a rugby guy being brilliant at swimming and a tennis guy being amazing at golf, right? But I think the whole, I think the way to think about this is what what is Brasford good at? And Brownsford, as I mentioned, you know, wasn't an amazing cyclist. He was a good cyclist, not not amazing. He's not a coach. He's not a physio. Uh, he's not a nutrition expert. But he is like a sort of magpie. He is a you know jack of all trades. You know, he knows enough about stuff. Um, and what he's really good at, really good, is recruitment. He he often used to talk himself talk about himself as a kind of conductor of the orchestra. You know, I don't need to know exactly what my, um, my my sort of top coach is doing or what my bike mechanics are doing. I just have to know that they're really good. And and that is the sort of Team Sky Ineos success story. He had a big budget, uh, but he had very much a sort of kind of clean piece of paper. We're going to come at this sort of slightly differently. And he just hired really interesting people. Like the the sort of the key coach in the Ineos Sky story, is a guy they hired from Australian swimming, a guy called Tim Kerrison, who basically revolutionised how cyclists prepare for major races now, the big three-week races. And there's loads of little stories like that. Um, and, you know, the Woodward analogy, I think, is a good one, because Clive Woodward, you know, I, I reported on that as, as well at the time, and I sort of got to know Clive a tiny bit. Interesting guy. They're not the same, but Woodward had that sort of same broad view. He was really interested in football, interested in football, to be fair. Woodward would, would actually quite like football, really did quite like football, and spoke quite knowledgeably about it. He grew up wanting to be a footballer. I read that in Dan Sheldon's piece on The Athletic. He fell out with his dad because he sent him to a school where he couldn't play football. Yeah, yeah. But he, and he had a good friend in Rob Rupert Lowe who ran Southampton at the time, so that was the sort of connection with Southampton. Um, and he, and he, his stock was incredibly high. We won, England had run the Rugby World Cup. So he goes into Southampton, but he didn't join at a great time. And, and to go back to your question, no, football wasn't ready. And it was run, football, uh, Southampton's manager at the time was Harry Redknapp, who absolutely wasn't ready for this rugby bloke to sort of come in as a kind of director of football. But also, you know, Woodward, Woodward was quite, you know, he's quite uh, self-confident. Um, Polite way so when, of putting when, it. You know, when, well yeah, when, when asked, <laughs> you know, oh, yeah, do you think you could manage a football team? Yeah, yeah, yeah I think I might do my badges and yeah, yeah why not? And that just was not going to work with Redknapp. And look, I remember talking to someone, I won't sort of reveal who it was, but it was one of the Southampton um, kind of coaches told me at the time that um, that there was sort of a lot of opposition to Woodward. He came, he came in when he got in, he did some sort of rugby stuff, which again, it might feel a bit David Brenty, like kind of hanging the shirts up and, you know, and, and then just some simple things like kind of this sort of ownership and culture. He talks a lot about culture, which worked England rugby, but, you know, sort of, Working class lads at Southampton just, you know, just didn't want to hear. And this coach actually sort of put it to me like this: 
Clive Woodward, his stuff, his his ideas were great, but he had no idea how to communicate with footballers. Yeah. Now, I do think the sport has changed. Browsford, I think, is actually quite good at communicating. It is, it is his sort of, like, sort of spidey skill. I've heard a few, and I've read various people, you know, the bike guy, I wouldn't, you know. Don't underestimate Browsford. Don't. That is a mistake, okay? He is great at recruitment. I'm not saying it's guaranteed success. I'm just saying if I was a fan of Manchester United, a bloke who... Uh, has experience of running uh, a truly dominant sports team in a competitive, highly competitive sport, track record of success, knows a bit about budgets, uh, knows a bit about sort of all the key bits of performance, logistics, and how you talk to athletes, and like I say, recruitment, has then seen other sports. So, you know, we glossed over it a little bit, but Ineos have investments in sailing, the America's Cup. Uh, He ran Elia Kachogi's... Uh, sub two hour marathon record project you know admitting I know nothing about running but he knows about how like projects and how to sort of like okay what, what do you need and there's some fascinating stuff that came out of that story about how they picked the course how they picked the support runners some of the technology they used how they filmed it you know really sort of you know clever stuff um, he's got a relationship with F1 through Mercedes, got a relationship with uh, New Zealand All Blacks, Ineos is a big sponsor. So he has this broad view and he has this incredible network. I just think if I'm a Man United fan, and I'm not, but if I was, I'd be like, yeah, this is a guy who is utterly committed to only hiring the best people. Uh, do we have the best people at Man United? Mm, not sure we do. This bloke will this bloke will hire and fire. He will sack people. He will. Has there been much of that at Man United? I, you know, I, I don't know. So I, I just sort of I'm I'm looking at this and thinking, why why wouldn't this at least work a little bit in the short term? Who knows how it's going to work in the medium term? And who knows what other problems? And, and football is ludicrously competitive. And he does he's not a football expert. But does he need to be a football expert? He's going to hire football experts. In terms of the wider sort of view of his role as the director of sport at Ineos, you talk there about some of the different sports that he is involved with, directly involved with. He's got this huge task now of of Manchester United, which in some ways is probably the most high-profile thing he's done as well. There'll be eyes and opinions over every last little detail. Um, how can he cope with all of this? How do you see the balance of work going for him? Well, this is the, one of the big topics of conversation in the cycling world uh, because, you know, dom- once dominant team, no longer dominant. They, they you know, for, for a couple of reasons. One, sports cyclical. They couldn't carry on at the top like that forever. And there are, depending who you talk to, three or four kind of generational talents out there in terms of riders. And for the first time in a decade, Sky Ineos haven't got them. Right. They've got a good team, not a great team. Now, cycling fans are like, well, where's Dave been? You know, he's not been at the right races. Has he has he dropped the ball? Has he lost focus? I, I, I'm sorry to say if you are a cycling fan accidentally listening to this, but or maybe a cycling fan who also likes Man United, uh, yeah, he's concentrating on, on Man United, right? 100%. In fact, he's been concentrating on football for about 18 months. You know, he, he, had, he was very focused on OJC Nice at a time when Sky were like, you know, where, where's 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 our boss? Where's our team principal? You know, I've heard some remarkable things. Like at the Tour de France, he was off doing. He was off in the states, doing uh, doing kind of sport conference type stuff. Um, you know, he has been. He's been. His absence has been notable 
within the cycling world. And I just don't think that's going to change at all. In fact, I think it would be a story for the wrong reasons if he rocks up at a bike race in the next few months. And he's not... It, this level of scrutiny... OK, he's been the main man in cycling. But cycling is, you know... I love cycling, but it is a much smaller sport than football. And then even within football, there's Manchester United, right? There's football and there's Manchester United. So massive turnaround projects at Man United. If he's not seen to be doing the job, seen to be doing it every day for the next, I don't know, six months, that's a story. Where's Brasford? He's at a bike race. I thought he was running Man United. I mean, there's an element he can't win. Well, I just think he, he will be focused on Manchester United. It's been absolutely fantastic to have you on. I'm sure this won't be the last time we talk to you about Ineos on Talk of the Devils if you're happy to come on again. But for the minute, thank you very much. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Okay, well, there is, of course, still football matches taking place whilst all this is going on in the background at Manchester United. And it's a big game this weekend against Tottenham at Old Trafford. And it's a big game this weekend as well. United, eight points off Spurs. A defeat means it's a very long way getting back in the second half of the season. A win, obviously, United are straight back into top four, top five contention. Before we preview that game, transfers, Andy, um, there's a lot going on, it seems, for Manchester United, but it's mainly outgoings, isn't it, at the moment? Hannibal on the Athletic, um, obviously, it sounds like he's heading to Sevilla. Jadon Sancho confirming his move back to Dortmund. And there's also been a lot of stuff about Martial in the last few days as well. What have you made of it all? I think Sevilla would be... Very good move for for Hannibal. Um, they're not a top team in Spain, but they are the reigning Europa League holders, and be a good city to live in. Good life experience for him. Hopefully, more successful. Good chips, decent chips, as Laurie found oh, out last year. Incredible chips. And mm. if he's playing regularly, then that can help him as a footballer. Hopefully, it'll do better for him than when Anthony Martial went to Sevilla or Alex Tellez went to Sevilla as well <laughs> I just worry that the squad's going to be left a little short if you've got three players leaving but then you've got the players coming back from injury but less uh, games as well a so lot that, less that's games. a big issue because we've gone from a close to 70 game season last year to regularly having no midweek matches and if you compare where we are now with a year ago we're in the league cup it was a year since that Charlton game last night at Old Trafford. We were looking forward to that playoff against Barcelona. None of that is now there. So on one hand, players do need to play football. And on the other, if there are fewer games, then you do need fewer players. And players are coming back. But we're still like 11 players out missing. So we keep saying players are going to be coming back. And I'm sure that they are. But still loads, loads missing. With Sancho, his position's clearly become untenable. If he goes to Dortmund and he plays well, he sees his stock rise. You would hope what happens for him is what they hope would happen for Martial when he went to Sevilla, but didn't happen for him. Quite a few people picked us up on this when we talked about Jadon Sancho going to Dortmund, Laurie. Um, and they said, well, what makes you think that Manchester United fans would accept Jadon Sancho back considering he's not played since August? And 
hasn't been able to sort out the situation with Eric Ten Hag if he went to Dortmund, did well and ended up back at Old Trafford under this manager or indeed a different one in the future? The reason why Sancho's not playing is, is primarily due to you know issues with Eric Ten Hag, but it's not to say that Ten Hag is the only person that's tried to convince Sancho to change his ways and, and you know, do things differently around training. Um, so it's not like... You know, Ten Hag's isolated in this situation. He's got got the club support behind him. So, you know, whatever his circumstances are in the summer, does that actually change? Now, I guess Ineos would take a clean view of things, but I don't think it's a situation where, you know, Ten Hag goes and and therefore, you know, Sancho's back and and welcomed arms. You know, there's there's definitely more to it than that. So, yeah, I mean, he's obviously changed his... Back on Instagram, isn't he? Changed his uh, profile picture to a a Dortmund coloured sock. So we we can read into that, that he's ready ready to go. There were some small issues in terms of the final point of the deal that needed to be sorted out. But yeah, he's going to Dortmund on loan, isn't he? Yeah, he is. And obviously, keep your eyes peeled to The Athletic. There's also a report on there from our mate Critch about Anthony Martial who sounds like he wants to stay at United until the end of this season. There's been approaches from Marseille, Fenerbahce and Saudi Pro Leagues, which Critch details in that piece as well. Not much progress, it seems, on incomings at Manchester United. We did think that Timo Werner had a chance, Andy, of showing up at Old Trafford at some point. Just not going to be the way that we perhaps thought. No, I wouldn't be... uh have an issue if a, new, a striker did come in on loan but I'd also be tempered after the last couple of loans with Igarlo and about Vegost. it is incredibly hard to join uh, a Premier League team in, in January and perform straight away especially a team which creates as few chances as Manchester United yeah, Laurie, I, I sort of teased the, the Werner line. He's going to turn up with Tottenham, isn't he, this weekend? Because he's joined them on loan rather than Manchester United, of course, heavily linked with United in, in recent weeks. And he's joining a Tottenham side who, like United, are missing a lot of players. Um, I think there's up to nine missing, including, of course, Son, who's gone away to the Asia Cup. That's a huge boost for United. Also, Basuma and Sarr being ripped out of their midfield. But... There's reports on The Athletic that Romero could be back. Uh, Mickey van der Ven was back on the bench in the FA Cup. He could be in line for his first Premier League start since November. It's going to be a difficult game, no question, whoever's in that team for Spurs. Yeah, I suppose van der Ven and Romero, if they do come back, that's a big boost because you know uh, Spurs have been playing Ben Davis and Emerson Royale at centre-back. He's injured as well, actually. He's gone too, Which, Ben Davis. Oh, yeah, right, okay, well, there we go. So he, yeah. he, can't, he can't play. Sorry, it's been... I've been too busy listing United's injuries because I've got a piece on that coming out. Um, the Spurs are exactly yeah, the same. Spurs, it, feels Spurs, like, it, yeah. it feels maybe even Spurs are worse. I mean, you know, um, James Madison being out for such a long time when he was so pivotal to their bright start to the season. Uh, and obviously, Son, as you've said, um, he's had a really good uh, campaign so far. And I know it's international duty for him, but still, you know, not going to be able to feature. So, um, yeah, I mean, Ange Postacoglu has done a really good job, I think, in... in refreshing that Spurs squad without Harry Kane and getting them playing some really good football and also steadying the ship amidst this kind of injury crisis. Um, I know they've lost a few games you know, badly at times. And to be fair, I watched that Bournemouth game that Spurs had in the last Premier League outing and Bournemouth certainly should have scored more than one and, and you know could have even yeah. won the game easily if, if Solanke had yeah. the finishing that he had uh, against... It's the high line thing again, isn't yeah. it, for United? With, with Garnacho, Rashford and Hoyland, like we saw against Aston Villa, it, it really worked that day. That That's what you're hoping for again. Well, I, I, that's why I think I've still... I, I've seen somebody the other day, I, I still think United have got a good chance of beating Spurs because it could get that kind of chaotic 
edge to it, which United are good at that. Exactly, that's kind that's of what they want. They are good at, Space yeah. with Rashford, Hoyland, um, Garnacho running into you know that that they will prefer that kind of game probably to the one than they had. Maybe I'm stretching it a little bit <laughs> against Wigan when you know it was up against. Oof, okay, wow. okay, sorry, <laughs> I'll, I'll retract that. But you know, in terms of actually creating chances. <laughs> You're 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 just like absolutely not having any of that, are you, Ian? Sorry, you, you lent back. Getting carried away yeah, with an okay. FA Cup third round know, win against but just the, the lower ta- league one the side. Type there, Larry, of game I'm talking bit. about. The kind of, you know, if okay. if Spurs were going to put eight men in the box, you know, that would be you know, United would. I think the forwards that United would would dislike that more than the the way that they're obviously going to play, which is this high line, which they even play. You know, when they go down to nine men against Chelsea and they they're trying to play offside, which was fun to watch, but obviously ultimately Chelsea won comfortably late on um, so yeah I don't know I think, I think it's going to be quite a fun game I think Spurs at Old Trafford last season was Manchester United's best performance <laughs> if we could get 50% of that I'd be absolutely delighted they're over the wobble they lost um, four and drew one out of five games now they've won four out of the last five but Spurs will wobble again I think if you look at Spurs stats there's a lot of goals in Spurs matches They've got their injuries, but they're good away from home. And that, that's what worries me a little bit. They've scored more goals away from home this season than any other team. Scored 22 goals. That's more than Manchester City, the third in the away league table. The game... It's more than United have scored yeah. in all games, isn't it? Yeah, so more away. So that 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 is a little worry. Ugh. And what worries me with United is A, the form. We don't know what's going to turn up. Part of me thinks new year, new team, everything's going to be okay now. Let's just forget the end of 2023 and Ineos are in. But what's making me think that? That's because I I want that to happen. United played well at Spurs. Jim's going to be there as well, Jim's going to be there, but he's not going to be up front, is he? No. (laughs) United at Spurs early on in the season, the first half, the team played really well. The second half, they lost the game. So... Am I confident? It's a really odd question to ask. We just don't know what we're getting. United have got to change some of the fundamentals of this team. Conceding quick goals in succession is a massive problem for Manchester United. But you're at Old Trafford, and lads, it is still only Spurs. Problem is, they're not bad now. <laughs> well, they're good. Yeah, exactly. And um, We'll bring you more detail on Sir Jim Ratcliffe's first visit to watch Manchester United at Old Trafford since the Ineos investment was announced on the next podcast. It's probably more interesting to talk about it after he's been there and get a glimpse of, of what he got up to and who he was sat next to, most importantly, which will be another game that we'll all be playing during that game. But before we finish the podcast, I didn't mention that there is a major update that we need to bring you. It's, uh, it's breaking news. Andy, I'm going to come to you for reaction on this. But before we do that, let's hear from our special correspondent, Marcus. Good morning, gentlemen. This is Marcus Sadie, freelance correspondent for The Athletic for Talk of the Devils. It's 5.31. I'm currently at uh, Humberto Delgado Airport, Terminal 1, for my flight out to Manchester Airport. <laughs> it's Wednesday morning. And I heard the call go out yesterday because of a missing wallet. Uh, from Mr. Andy Mitten, <laughs> and I just thought I'd help out, come down, be on the scene, and get some first-hand experience. See if this wallet has turned up. I'm currently outside Starbucks Coffee, where Andy likes to frequent when he's out on the Andorra Mountains. But they still look a bit stenched. No, 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 lads. I'm sorry to confirm that after a man look under the benches. 
in between security. There's no, there's no wallet. I'm sorry to confirm. This is Marcus Sadie, freelance reporter for The Athletic. Over and out. Idiots, all of you. <laughs> Enjoy that, Marcus. Yeah, thank you for your hard work. Brilliant to get that update from Lisbon Airport. Unfortunately, Andy, no wallet. Listeners will remember from the last episode that Andy lost his wallet at Lisbon Airport when he was flying to Brazil. Didn't worry too much because he found out two days later it had shown up. And on his way back from Brazil, stopped at Lisbon Airport, picked his wallet up, and then in the two-hour changeover, lost it again. Um, But yeah, sorry, Andy, to bring you that disappointing update. You know what? I actually thought then that you'd found it. Yeah. I, I thought, thought he found it. I, my hopes were, really went up then. <laughs> that was well out of order. <laughs> I thought he'd gone to Lost and Found yeah. in Lisbon Airport, which is where he should have gone rather than Starbucks, and asked the question, has a wallet been handed in? Which is not what I've been able to do because he'd been blanking my emails because they obviously think I'm taking the piss because I've lost it twice and not once. I've not found my wallet. I don't deserve a wallet. I'm still disgusted with myself. It's got my driving license in it. It's got all sorts of important stuff in it. I know it hasn't shown up. If you are in Lisbon Airport, the lost and found is by the car rentals in Terminal 1. <laughs> is there a reward, Andy, for anyone who, who may find it? I, I don't know if that's a, a yeah. way of perhaps enticing people yeah, away yeah. from Starbucks and towards the actual lost yeah, and found Yeah, I'd give department. a reward. I'd, I'd absolutely give a reward because I've got a right pain in the backside now of sorting loads of different things out. So, yeah, I would give a reward. Okay, well, there's a reward available. So anyone else, if you're passing through Lisbon Airport, please bring us updates. What's fair? 100 quid? Oh, is it a monetary award? I was going to say, yeah, right. we stand or something. Free, Shout out on free the podcast. <laughs> free, free subscription to United We Stand. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, anything else to clear up from the last podcast, Larry? I think there might be. Well, I just wanted to check with you guys what you thought about my analogy um, that I did, you know, try out on social media in terms of, you know, our podcast is a bit like a wig and kebab. What do you think, Andy? Where basically, you know, the the actual substance is the pie, you know, well, the meat and by the way, in the it, middle. It, it's known as a pie balm universally, so oh, you, you're okay. just claiming that for Wigan. It is known as a Wigan kebab, but, oh, but it's, we had it's, quite a lot it's of complaints that we were disrespecting other of areas Wigan. of the country oh. who also enjoy a pie balm. I am totally... Wigan kebab. I'm, I'm a Luddite when it comes to this kind of thing. But People obviously... actually charge for the butter as well. Uh, we, we were sent several <laughs> Wow, pictures. so there's gradients to this thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. But Andy, you're, so when you were talking about jibbing into Atlanta 96, Andy, that for me was the bap, the balm, the muffin, whatever you want to call it, around the uh, pie. But then I also started thinking, actually, you know, you have this thing, bread and butter. The bread and butter of, of you know, at the podcast should actually be the the main substance really so it's a bit of a contradiction I'm, I'm getting myself tangled what i don't know can you help me you're in a stew rather than a pie yeah <laughs> if you want to read more about sir dave brailsford his impact so far at manchester united and of course the continued impact of ineos's investment on the club go to the athletic you'll find the very best coverage there theathletic.com forward slash man united pod you can sign up there for 199 a month for the next 12 months i hope you enjoyed that deeper dive as well into a single topic. We're going to do that a little bit more in the second half of this season on Talk of the Devils. So let us know what you thought of the conversation and also let us know what else you might like us to have a look into as well as this season progresses. Ineos have certainly got a lot of work to do and it would be nice to get your thoughts on what they should be doing and exactly how you see it going. But for the moment, thank you for listening. Thank you to Andy and Laurie for being with us. Thank you to Marcus, our special correspondent, and Matt, our guest today as well. We'll see you on the next one after Spurs, whatever happens. And if you're listening, to Jim.
enjoy see you on the next one bye bye the athletic